Hey, it's Pastor Tim. Welcome home. I want to thank you for listening to this message. I pray you hear God speaking exactly what He needs you to hear in this moment. May this message inspire you to live a life of engaged love in Him. You are. Come on now. Like, like, maybe you guys are all like, oh no, we only come to church when we are of the perfect and most upright behavior and our best aloha wear and uh, kindest and most gentlest spirits. But I don't know about you, there are days where I don't want to be here. Right? It's that old uh, joke that goes, um, man wakes up and tells his wife, honey, I don't want to go to church today. She's all, why not? Nobody likes me there. Everybody's always yelling at me and you know, making me do stuff. I just hate it there. It's all, but you have to go. You're the pastor. And, uh, why I don't want to come sometimes? Because I don't feel it. You know, I feel like you know, I just you know, yelled at my kids or more importantly, yeah, yelled at someone in traffic. I just live, you know, went through three days where I was just raging at my wife. And I'm like, I don't want to be. I don't feel like I'm worthy to walk in these doors and talk to these people about the love of God when I don't feel loving sometimes. But that's why a song like that in the Bible and a God that we serve who says, come as you are is so important. Now, half the church decided to take the day off today, and that's okay because we have come just as we are. You don't feel it all the time? That's okay. Come anyway. You know why? Because God has planned something special just for you here today. And he doesn't say, listen, when you're ready to do right, come on down and get this thing I've got for you. When you've um, gotten rid of all your problems and finally overcome those uh, issues, we know what we're talking about, right? Issues in your life. Then you can come on down and, and I'll give you the thing that I've made for you. No, no, no. He says, come. How? How? As you are. That's a bold God. That's a bold God, knowing the things that are in our brains and in our hearts, and he says, come as you are. Someone give God some glory today. See, I want to just jump up and down and, 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 and just get to it. By God, I got to keep it calm. I got to keep it calm. I got to tell you about Jesus. It's just so exciting to talk about him, to be here with you today, exploring the names of God, exploring not just the names of God, because like we said, this is more than just names. It's more than just getting a list of names and saying, oh, God is also called uh, Yehovah Ra'ah and Yehovah Nisi and Yehovah uh, El Shaddai. He's also called these things. It's more than that, right? Because as we've said, we've talked about it. When Moses wanted to know God intimately, he said, tell me your name. It's when we reveal our name in that culture. When you reveal your name in that culture, you're revealing an intimate side of who you were. And God reveals it to Moses. Murderer complainer, lack of faith, Moses. 
Moses who would strike a rock when God said, speak to it. Moses. Moses would not get to go in the promised land. Moses. Why reveal it to Moses? I can understand maybe Daniel. You know, perfect little Daniel. Never did anything wrong. Slept with the lions, Daniel. Or Joseph. Good old goody two-shoes Joseph. Always bearded up under pressure. Never complained. But Moses? I'll tell you why. Because God is to come as you are God. And to all who call upon the name of God, to all who say, Lord, I want to know you, broken and battered and dirty as I am, I want to know you. You know what God says? Come on. This is who I am. The last thing we talked about, about the names of God last week. Powerful week last week. My goodness. Steal the Simone Gospel Heralds and chain them to the pulpit. Make him sing for us every week. But, 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 but it, was, it, was, it was, the Lord is our shepherd. And we walked through this powerful, intimate description of God wanting to take us from people who just follow him and depend on him for everything to people who can talk to him and relate to him face to face. And he does that by taking us through the dark valleys. And then we go from being people who are just relating to God and being able to talk to him. Now we're above sheep, but we're still not quite there. To family members sitting at the table with God as he prepares meals for us, as he feeds us, as he anoints us for a greater purpose. We become family members. And then he leads us to being more than just family. He leads us to being like him. Somebody say, I'm like God. Good for you. You are. Because he ends that, 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 that passage with saying, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me. See, we start off following God, and at the end of the passage, we're still following God, but we're being leaders now too. And as we lead, we lead in goodness and we lead in mercy. It was a powerful explanation of God. And it, it, it peaked with David. David writes this thing at the peak of his, um, or at the end of his life. You know, but this is the peak of Israel's spirituality. The temple is being built. Everybody is turning themselves to God. They're singing the psalms that David has written. They're reading the law. They're coming to the temple and giving themselves to God. It is the peak of Israel's relationship and desire to know God. And at last, Because Solomon, David's son, comes in and starts off saying, Lord, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. Before they're about to ordain him as king, he is, spends the entire night in prayer begging God to lead him. It's a powerful time. And God himself talks to Solomon and says, what is it that you want? He says, I just want wisdom to lead your people. He says, I'll give it to you and you will become the wisest man that ever lived. But sometimes wisdom leads people to do foolish things. And so he becomes super wise, but in that wisdom and being smarter than everybody else in the room, he stops going to God for advice. He stops going to God for support. He stops going to God for protection. And he starts depending on himself and his wisdom. And he says, 
Israel needs to be stronger, have a stronger relationship with the other countries. So we are bonded, and the best way to bond myself with another kingdom is to marry one of their daughters. And so he started marrying daughters from other kingdoms. Not by the tens, not by the twenties, but by the hundreds. Over a thousand wives he'd bring in from other countries to solidify Israel's position in the nation. Now, here's the thing he forgot. Who had solidified Israel's position in the nation already? Who had solidified Israel's position in their world already? Anybody? Can you hear me okay? Is this, this on? No, it's on. It's on. It's on. I'm sorry. Maybe you guys thought you were at Kailua today or something. Okay. We talk to each other, all right? This is one of those interactive churches. Who had solidified Israel's place as a nation above nations, has the head and not the tail? Who had set them up like that? Thank you. We ain't got masks on anymore, or not all of us. You can speak. We can talk. We can claim it. God had done it. But when Solomon tried to make it his thing, and by his power, Israel went down the toilet. And right after Solomon's reign, they split into two nations. Because God says, since you won't follow me, maybe someone else will. And no, they kept trying to go after their own ideas and their own strength and their own power to solidify their position in the world when God had already done it. It's like Adam and Eve trying to be like God by eating the fruit when God had already made them in his image. You guys are going to get me mad today. I'm just going to start yelling at you. You don't want that, do you? So, so, so we find ourselves in this latest name of God, and now it's about 100 or so years later. We've gone through several kings for both Israel and for Judah. And almost all of them have been corrupt. Almost all of them have been self-serving. And almost all of them have driven Israel and the people further and further and further into worshiping idols, into aligning themselves with the paths of other nations. See, from the time of Abraham, Israel had this, uh, the people had this uh, bad habit of when things got too difficult, they'd run to Egypt. And when things got, um, when they wanted to uh, soothe their religious conscience, they'd run to Babylon. And so you have in the Bible Israel, which represents worldly pleasures and comfort. Uh, Israel, I say Israel. Egypt. Egypt that represents worldly pleasures and comfort. And you have Babylon that represents false worship. You know, it's uh, works righteousness. Feeling better than everybody else. Because the Babylonians had this great system. And they're constantly running back and forth between the two and not going to God. And so this is where we find them. Their pastors have led them and encouraged them in these things. They're actually performing sacrifices to foreign gods in the temple of God. They have idols to pagan gods in God's temple. This is where we are when Jeremiah comes on the scene. Jeremiah's, uh, the book of Jeremiah stands to just before the exile to Babylon because eventually God said, enough. If you want to live like other nations, you can live with other nations. And he let Babylon come in and take away all the children of Israel who were left and took them down to Babylon and they were in exile in Babylon. Exile in Babylon for 70 years. 
They could not go home. The majority, basically almost everybody under the age of, over the age of 10 that went to Babylon never came back. Never saw Israel again. The temple, Solomon's temple, this thing that God said, this will be a sign that I am with you, was destroyed, burned to the ground, torn into rubble so that the Babylonians could get into the gold and everything that was in there. The Israelites during this time of Jeremiah are completely lost. Complete darkness. They feel like nothing will ever be the same and they have lost their place with God forever. And it is in this time that God speaks to Jeremiah this truth of who he is. This name that we have today is Jehovah Sidkinu. Everybody say Sidkinu. It's like your friend Sid and Kin and U. Sidkinu. Let's read it. It's found in Jeremiah 23. And we're going to read 1 through 8. And this is God upset with the priests, upset with the kings, upset with people who have led uh, children of Israel astray. He says, Woe to the shepherds, these are these people, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Whose pasture? It's God's pasture, declares Yahweh. Therefore, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flocks and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, have not told them of who I am and live, made them live right lives, because you've done this thing, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. See, when you don't portray the correct picture of God to the people who are under you, God calls it evil going on. I myself will gather the remnant of the flock out of all the countries. Stop right there. Somebody should say amen because he's speaking to a people who are in exile and he's promising this thing. I myself will gather my flock from all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to the pasture where they will be fruitful and they will increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified. And nobody will be missing. Is there anybody in this house today who's sick and tired of being sick and tired? Who's tired of being scared of the situation of the world and terrified of the situation of your lives? Well, God has good news for you. He wants to bring you back if you let him. And it says none will be missing. Parents, keep praying for your kids. God promises. He's with you. He's with them. Then he continues on. says, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will rise up to David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. He's talking about Jesus, everybody. And in, the days, uh, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this will be the name. This will be the name which that king will be called. That king will be called Yahweh Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, and the people will no longer say, As surely as Yahweh lives, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt... But instead they will say, as surely as Yahweh lives who brought all the descendants of Israel out of the land of the north, this is Babylon, and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live 
in their own land. This is a promise that captivity doesn't have to be forever. Somebody say it's not forever. It's not forever. Three things I want you to get from this today if you are someone who is like this. Maybe you're there struggling between the desires of the world and an unclear picture of who God is. Just don't see why I should follow this guy. Maybe your world is falling apart. Maybe you yourself are in captivity and you're wondering if salvation can exist for someone like you. If you're hearing my voice, praise God, guess what? It does. It does. And salvation has a name and it is Yahweh Sidkenu. Three things to help us remember that God is our righteousness. First is this, there is only one Yahweh Sekinu. There's only one righteousness. That righteousness is active. And finally, finally, your exile now is going to be your testimony then. Father, please speak to us in mighty ways today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There is only one Yahweh Sekinu. When the children of Israel would get in trouble, they would go to the kings of other nations to save them. They would go to idols to save them. They would go to different uh, mediums and spirits. They would go to their own strength. They would try everything they possibly could to get them saved, but nothing would work. It would just get them deeper and deeper and deeper into problems. And you know what? You know what? I feel that sometimes. Tell me I'm not the only one. I let my pride rise up in me. And instead of saying, God, I want to come back to you and make it right, I ride it, you know. Now, I'm not going to ask you to look. In fact, couples, keep your eyes straight. Don't look to the side. But did any of you ever got into a fight with your spouse? And you knew that you could, <laughs> all right, 10-year-old. Um, you knew you could have done something differently about it? You know, but that pride thing rises up, Right? And then, and, 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 you know, yeah, it, it usually starts simple enough, right? With like, you know, but I don't want to go to the party tonight. But you said you'd go. Well, I don't feel like it anymore. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a little voice in your head says, hey, maybe you just keep your word. But then that other voice, that pride voice says, listen, you work hard. You deserve a break today, you know? If McDonald's can get a break, why can't you? I say, listen, I deserve this thing. Oh, so I don't deserve anything? And your brain says, yeah, just shut up, don't go any further. But you're like, uh-uh, I got to explain myself. And instead of listening to the voice of God, you dig yourself a little bit deeper. No, you don't understand. You're always doing this. Oh, I'm always doing this? Yeah, always. Well, maybe you're always. And what? And you just dig yourself deeper. And deeper and deeper until a captivity has you sleeping on the couch. Just saying. Hypothetically. Maybe it's not relationships, but you've been there, right? Let your pride overwhelm you. And you keep digging deeper into yourself to get you out of this thing. You don't have anything in you of yourself that can get you out of the hole and the captivity and the darkness you're in. There's only one name that can do it. And what's that name? Somebody say it loud. 
Somebody say it so the neighbors can hear. Thank you. It is only Jesus. Someone here today is still struggling with trying to prove themselves worthy through their accomplishments or what they don't do or comparing themselves with others. You know those people. Maybe you are one of those people. Oh, I don't need any gluten, don't you know? I'm good like that. I'm perfect. Oh, I don't drink. I'm one of God's children. Y'all got any Adventists in this house today? Amen? We don't drink, right? Amen? Does that make us better? But sometimes we think it does, right? We use it to kind of cast dispersions on other people. Well, you know, you know. I remember driving to church one day with Sophie was in the back seat. And she was looking out. She's all like, oh, Daddy, it's so sad. So many of these people don't know Jesus. I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty judgmental. <laughs> Why would you say that? I said, well, none of them are in church today. If they knew Jesus, they'd all be in church. And I realized I'd raised my daughter to have a myopic or narrow view of salvation. The only people that worship the way we worship will be saved. Now, do I believe the way we worship is the right way? Well, absolutely. I better. I get paid by the Adventist Conference. But I'm also not so stuck on myself to think that I am the only way and that I've got it all, that maybe God is leading people in a different way. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said, there are sheep that are not of this pasture. Leave them alone and let them come to me. I will deal with them. But yet, yet, we look at all these little things trying to prove our salvation. Look, well, you know, I don't wear my skirts that short, so. <laughs> I don't wear my pants that tight. No rips in my jeans. I'm a good person. And we constantly are finding ways, but there's only one, only one, only one. It's Jesus. That's it. That's simple. It's Jesus. Yahweh, Sid, Kinu. God, our righteousness. The children of Israel had messed it up, and they want a lot of other things to be their righteousness, their political power, their uh, treasury. You know, when Babylon came in to visit them, when Babylon was just an itty-bitty country, and said, what makes you so great? We saw the sun actually move back in time for you. What makes you so great? What should they have said? God, Right? They should have taken them into the temple and opened up the scrolls and said, God has revealed himself to us and he can reveal himself to you as well. That's what makes us great. We're not great. God is great. We're just following him. We don't get, we're, we're not in the VIP room on our own. We follow God in there. But you know what they did? You know what they did? They said, hey, Babylon, you want to know what makes us great? Come, let's show you some stuff. And they walked them over to the treasury, Solomon's treasury, and they opened it up and they showed them the mountains of gold, silver, and jewels. Walked them through the temple and said, don't you know this is laid out with all only the best stuff? Chip and Joanna Gaines themselves did the makeover. It's special. A couple of you know what I'm talking about. The other's like, who are they? Don't worry about it. 
But they showed the robes, they showed everything, and Babylon left there knowing nothing about God, but only knowing that if we want to get some gold, Israel's got it all. They forgot who their righteousness was. Don't do the same. Don't do the same. If you're feeling worn down, if you're feeling, and you say, I just need something to get me over this hump, do you have Jesus? Then you're already over the hump. Let me ask a question to you guys today. It's a simple question. I ask it all the time. Who in this room has Jesus? Yes, I see a couple of hands. Okay, let's try that again, because this is not, uh, um, you know, a rhetorical question. Who in this room, in this house, has Jesus? Let me see your hands. Praise God. If you haven't raised your hand, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If you're waiting, again, to be good enough, stop it. You can't be good enough for Jesus. He is righteousness. You just have him. And if you have Jesus, guess what? You have his righteousness. You don't have to prove anything. Jeremiah 23, 6, in this passage says, This is his name that he will be called. He knew people weren't calling him that then, but it didn't change who he was. God is my righteousness. God is your righteousness, but only when you claim it. So claim it daily. Remind yourself daily. I don't got to do a lot of things but claim Jesus. Now, now, now we're going to get to the second half of that in a second. A lot of you are saying, well, I guess I just claimed Jesus and once saved, always saved. Not saying that. What I am saying is your actions, your works don't save you. They never have. They never will. Your bad deeds don't damn you. They never have. They never will. Your relationship with Jesus that's the thing. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? If you have, boom, you're saved. If you reject that, boom, you're not saved. That's simple. That's simple. Stop trying to earn it. You can't claim righteousness based on your acts. Stop trying to make other people prove it. Make your call their call. You've been around people like that before, right? People that say, well, you know, I gave up dairy, so, you know, if you're going to be saved, you need to give up dairy too. I'm just saying. And stop denying it. Stop living like you don't need him. Living only to your idols. He is our righteousness. And by the way, by the way, This is an arrogant statement that Christians make, but by gum, I'm glad we make it because there is no equivocation. No, well, you know, Jesus works, he's good, but, you know, you can also go to, you know, Hare Krishna, and you can also try beads, and you'll make sure your chakras are all in line, you know, and the crystals, and, you know, it, it's all good. I've got family who, like, you know, uh, they, they think that religion's like a buffet. I'm going to take the mercy and love of Jesus Christ, and that's really nice. Oh, and, you know, New Age spiritualism. Oh, I've got some gems I'm going to put up and give me proper energy in my house. Oh, and then feng shui, going to make sure that the spirits can align through. There's only one name. 
It's arrogant, I know. But I don't care because I follow the Bible, the Word of God. And guess what my Bible says? My Bible says in Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven with which mankind can be saved. It's only Jesus. Somebody say it's only Jesus. You know, going to the other things reminds me of my daughter. I don't know if I told you this story. Stop me if I did. But um, Sophie's looking at me like, it's not that daughter. <laughs> so, uh, Maddie, when she first starts driving, right, I, uh, she goes to school. And it's the first time she's going to school. I give her, uh, she says, Dad, the, the truck is low on gas. I said, well, here's the gas card. And in case that doesn't work, here's 10 bucks. And so she grabs both, you know. And I figure, well, it's the last time I'll ever see that 10 bucks again because, yeah, it's her lunch probably. But she jumps in the car. About 20 minutes later, I get a panic call from her. And she's like, Dad, something's wrong with the car. It's like sputtering. I'm like, what do you mean it's sputtering? She's like, it's sputtering. I'm like, well, what did you do? She's like, I just got gas, and now it's like, I'm all, okay, well, maybe there's air in the, I don't know. Just try and drive it a little. Is it, will it drive? She's like, yeah, but really sluggish. Well, just try and drive it out and see if that will, like, kick it out of the system, and you'll be fine. Not more than a minute later, she calls me back and says, Dad, it won't move now. It won't move at all. I'm like, oh, no. We just got the car checked. What could be wrong with it? What would make it do that? You just got gas. At you just got gas. So, Maddie, answer me this question if you can. This is very important. So, okay, I'll try. Do you remember getting gas? Oh, yeah, I just got it. What color was the nozzle that you used to get gas. And she's all, oh, I know this one. It was green. I said, no, baby girl. No. So how did you even fit that green? It's not supposed to fit. So, well, it was kind of hard to fit, so I just sort of jammed it in and like. Now, for those of you uninitiated, what does the green nozzle represent? Diesel. Guess what we don't have? A diesel car. See, our engine and our car specifically to run on gasoline. Specifically to run on gasoline. She had seen other people use the green pump. I said, well, I must be able to use it. You know, it makes their car go, but her car was made to run on gasoline. And when she put the wrong thing in, it stopped the engine, and she was not able to move forward anymore until we flushed that system and put the right thing in. You get what I'm saying? I draw a map, a line. When we put the wrong thing in us, it will stop our forward momentum. It will stop our forward progress. We were made to move on Jesus Olin. Too much? I don't know. God or lean, Yahweh lean, I don't know. We, we, were made to lean. we were made specifically for God. That's it. Salvation. Jesus only. And every time we try and fill ourselves with something else, it will stop our forward movement and progress, and we will sputter and wonder why we aren't going anywhere. Now, Maddie luckily learned her lesson after that time. She only did it once. But how many of us have gone back to that same pump time and time again trying to fill ourselves with the very thing that stops us moving? Fill ourselves with bitterness and anger, manipulations. 
fill ourselves with pride. Brothers and sisters, there's only one. His name is Jesus. Second point. Yahweh Sidkinu is active. Here's the thing I love about him. The people have been banished, but he wasn't just sitting there waiting for them to learn their lesson. You know, as a kid, one of the best ways my dad would use to punish me is um, he learned that the quick swap, you know, and I know some of you, like, you know, young parents are like, <gasps> that swap, no. See, some of my poly family, they're like, Sasa, yeah. <laughs> but what dad learned is that quick swap, I didn't do a whole lot, you know? That's just bam. They're like, oh, okay, okay. But then, you know, mine would recover from it fast. So what he would do is this. He'd say, son, I want you to go into your room. And if he was really feeling, like, diabolical, he'd say, I want you to go pick out a belt, lay it on the counter, and then go in your room and wait for me. And I will be there once you've thought about what you've done. And you just sit there, and the anticipation, you know, would just destroy you. just, like, sit there, like, just get it all my wife, please. And you know what he'd be doing while I'd be in the room, like, just dying and sweating and, like, you know, contemplating, you know, running away or, you know, finding a new father. I don't, you know what he'd be doing? He'd be, like, watching CNN, you know, Fox and Family or whatever, eating his cereal. Care in the world. When God had to punish Israel, he didn't just sit on the couch, the heavenly throne couch, and eat his, you know, tree of life Oreos or Cheerios. My mind's somewhere else. Oreos, man. They have Oreo cereal. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. He didn't just do that. He was working for their salvation. He was active every step of the way, making a way for them to come back. We serve an active God, active, saving God. Anybody here in the midst of captivity? Anybody in the midst of the punishment that you have laid upon yourself and you're just feeling lost and broken? You're feeling like there's no one there for you. I've got good news. Our God is working for you right now. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but guarantee it, he's there. He's done every step of the way. My Bible says, I write this to you that you sin not. See, he's giving you the power not to sin. Okay, I want you to know that before we move on. You have the power not to indulge in sin. Period. But, he says, if you sin, you have an advocate. Somebody say advocate. Advocate, a lawyer, a fighter. Someone on your side who is at the right hand of the Father. He is constantly working for you. That's our God. That's a powerful God. That's an active God. And as we realize that we are covered in the righteousness of an active God, guess what that allows us to do? That allows us to be active as well. See, once you realize that you are covered in God's righteousness, that thing should move you to action. God's righteousness is not an inactive thing we have. It is something that moves within us and empowers us. 
empowers us to do what? To act in love, to forgive, to help, to motivate others. Someone say, I've got the power of God. Say, it's deep in me. Use it. Our action is in claiming the power that God has given us. So you may look in the world today and see how chaotic and messed up it is and say, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Ever feel that way? Like the problems of the world, you got Ukraine, you got political problems, you got gas at $57 a gallon, you've got the world just falling apart. Yes, I said $57 a gallon because that's what it feels like. And you say, what can I do? Brothers and sisters, you've got the power of God in you. Do what he has called you to do. Whatever he places in front of you, that's the thing you do. I never cease to be amazed and surprised at how one person can make a huge difference in the world, can change it, just by doing what they've been called to do. Even in the world, I mean, these are people who haven't even necessarily claimed the power of God. You look at people like Walt Disney and Steve Jobs. Did those people change the world in any significant way? Absolutely. I'll guarantee you that at least half of you in here have the devil phone in your pocket. We call it the iPhone. It's like an apple on the back with... It says it right there. It's the devil's phone. Anyway, I'm But Steve Jobs changed the world. And he wasn't even a practitioner of Christianity. Imagine what we can do if we allow God to use us, to be active in God the way he's called us to be active in God. Don't ever think you can't make a difference because you have God's power in you. God is your righteousness. But here's the problem. So many here today will refuse to drop their unrighteousness and come to him. It's like the children of Israel holding on to their idols that are killing them. We hold on to our idols like bitterness and manipulation, greed and rage. We hold on to these things when God is saying, but if you come and you, you drop them, you have the power to move on. You have the power to forgive. You have the power to be at peace. You have the power to heal. I can heal your bitterness if you just let me. But no. There's someone out there today who has not claimed Yahweh Sidkinu and the power that he gives you to act. I invite you to do it today. I invite you to do it now in this place. His righteousness is our power to live a life changed, a life of freedom. Even though we're living in the land of exile, we can dwell and act like we are in the land of our Father. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? Your exile, the station that you find yourself in life, does not determine who you are or how you have to act. You see, the Israelites weren't free once God sent them back to Israel at the end of the 70 years. That's not what freed them. 
Okay, because technically they were still under Babylonian rule, and then under Medo-Persian rule. Oh, actually, at that time they were Medo-Persian rule, and then Greece, Grecian rule, and then Roman rule, and then on and on and on. You know what freed them? Accepting God. Coming back to God. Calling out to him. And then it didn't matter whose land they were in. They were living in the fatherland. They were living in heaven's gates. You can live free today no matter where you live. No matter who's the president, no matter who's the governor, no matter who's your spouse, stop looking around. You can live free in exile. You're living in the action the Father's given you. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardness, of weakness, but he gave us a spirit of power to love and to act in discipline. Brothers and sisters, you've got the power. Someone say it with me. I've got the power. Say, I've got the power. By the power of... Never mind. Some of you are too old for that. I've got the power. <laughs> He-Man. If you can get it. It's He-Man. He-Man. I have the power. We can have the power in Jesus Christ. Sword of life. Bring it to us. The gospel for a different day. I got to move on. Finally. Finally. Your exile now will be your testimony then. Jeremiah's last call to the children of Israel was that God would bring them through. That though they were as good as dead as a people, they would flourish again and praise his name for it. The thing that you are going through now, the thing that you feel is just too much for you right now, is that very thing that will allow God to work a resurrection and a rescue in your life. And that will be the thing that you stand on and say, yeah, you know what? I thought I was done too. But God brought me through it then, and he can bring you through it now. This thing that you're going through, whoever's going through it right now, it will be your testimony. And if tomorrow you wake up and your exile starts and you're going through something heavy, guess what? It's just preparing you for the testimony that God has in store for you. The children of Israel, when they, uh, before they went to exile, they used to say, surely as the God lives, the God who brought us out of Egypt, he will prevail. After the exile, they said, surely as the God who brought us out of exile lives. See, they found a new testimony, a testimony that was real for them. This thing can be your testimony if you just give it to God. Just let God have it. I've got a story. And if Monty, I don't know if you... Okay, you can skip like that. You can play a little bit. See, it's the soft music that makes us all feel more sensitive inside. It's a beautiful thing we do. The promise of restoration is a promise of resurrection. It's an Easter morning promise. I'm not going to be with you on Easter, so take this. God has resurrection power flowing through your veins today. Just like Yahweh Sekinu brought the children of Israel out of the exile, he is ready to bring you out as well and into a life of freedom in him. 
story about an Adventist school principal who had a school on the border between the United States and Mexico. Okay. And the school was unique in that they allowed students from Mexico to come across and visit, or not visit, but go to school there. And so they could get a, like a day visa and go across and, and you know, go to school, and then they go back across the border. And everything was good for a while. Okay. The principal would make trips across the uh, to do house visits, to bring homework to kids who had missed homework, um, to talk to parents about kids who were maybe misbehaving. We had one family who was um, really getting into it with him. They didn't think their kids should be disciplined. And he said, but I, I have to. He was breaking the rules. And so he said, well, can you come down and talk to us about it? He said, yeah, I, I, I'd be happy to come down. So he crossed the border. And as he's crossing the border, they pull him off to the side. He's like, okay. He pulls off to the side and he says, get out of your car. And the guard is unusually rough with him. The guard goes back around to the back of the trunk and he opens up the trunk. And then the guard comes out of the trunk with this package full of white powder. And the principal's like, I don't know what that is, but I didn't put that in there. And he's like, it's cocaine. And immediately they grabbed him and hauled him off to prison. It's a true story. Threw him in prison. You see, found out later that one of the parents had paid off a guard, because you could buy off anybody in Mexico, paid off a guard to throw him in prison. And so he was thrown in prison. Now, they took a mugshot of him to shame him, okay? But then they never processed him. They never brought him before a judge. Never, they just threw him in a jail cell and locked the door. Hours went by. Hours turned into days, and he was like, this is it. Nobody knows I'm here. I haven't gotten a call. I've been locked in this cell. I am, they're just going to disappear me into the Mexican system. He was waiting to either be executed or thrown off into the main, you know, prison and, and disappear forever. One day the door opens up. Another guard comes in, throws him his car keys and says, you're free to leave, sir. Get out of here shocked, jumps in the car, heads home. And when he gets home, he finds out the rest of the story. Now, some of you are where the guard is, or, or the, the guard, the, 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 the principal was in that jail cell right now in your lives. You're, you're, you're in your imprisonment. You're in your shame. You're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of here, and, and I know that nobody is looking for me. There's nothing out there for me. This is it. But brothers and sisters, you don't know the rest of the story yet. The rest of this man's story was this. The guard, to shame him, put his picture on social media. Said, principal caught with drugs. Okay, on the guard's own social media account. Somebody saw that who knew the man. And they contacted the wife. The wife immediately, immediately jumped into action for her beloved. And within hours... They had like four different lawyers and the consulate and uh, a lawyer on the Mexican side who was the most powerful lawyer in all of Mexico had jumped onto the story, had heard it, and said, we're not going to let this. And people in positions of power were acting on his behalf all the while he thought that he was all alone. See, the thing that the devil wants to use to shame you in your life is the thing that is going to be your testimony of what God is doing in your life is the thing that is going to call the Father to your side. And you may not see him, you may not know he's working, but brothers and sisters, our God is an active God who is working 24-7 for your salvation. 
He's there for you right now. That's the rest of the story. You in him. Where you don't see a way, where you don't see anything else, he is the way maker. Romans 8, 11 says this, If the spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. If the Son sets you free, guess what? You are free indeed. Somebody say, I'm free indeed. One more time, I am free indeed. And just don't forget, just don't forget, Jesus Christ took our place in exile so we could take his place in glory. He is the only way maker you will ever need. Thank you so much for being a God who chases after us. Thank you so much for being a God who is so, so good. Lord, if there be anybody here today who is still living in their exile and clinging to it, let them shake it off, Lord, and walk in the action, the power that you've given them. This is my prayer today, Lord. Um, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support this ministry with your time, treasure, or talent, please visit our website at kaneohesda.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.